We're in chapter 7. Renee is going to come read to us. And before she does, I just want to remind you of something. For some of you, this is more helpful. You like to know things like this. Others, you can just plug your ears for a moment. The book of Genesis has 13 markers throughout it. Basically, things that frame different stories. And they all begin with what you see in chapter 6, verse 9. Can you look there? Where it says, these are the generations of. So there's 13 of those. So this story that we're in right now begins, technically, if you will, in 6, 9. And the next time we read the phrase, uh, these are the generations of, is in until chapter 10, verse 1. So from 6, 9 to 10, 1 is supposed to be like one big story read together. But we can't do that because it would take us four hours to preach through it. But this morning when Renee reads, she's going to start reading in 6.9, and I wanted to explain why, so you can see the flow from 6.9 all the way through the end of 7. Does that make sense? So that's why we're starting in 6.9. It seems kind of weird jumping into the middle, but that's why we're doing it, all right? Let me pray. Then Renee's going to start reading in chapter 6, verse 9. Oh, Lord, I can so often just take for granted that in my hand, I hold your very words. God, I can just... I can be passive about that. I can be negligent with it. I can forget. God, what a gift that we have in 2021 to be holding your very words so that we can know you truly. We can know who you are and what you're like. We can know your character and your attributes. We can know how you interact with mankind and how you interact with us. God, it is such a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. We, we don't take that lightly this morning. We, we want to celebrate that this morning in our hearts. And so even as Renee reads God and as I preach, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be poured down on us, that you would aliven us and awaken us to see the things that you want us to see in this familiar story and that you would use it, Lord, to change our lives, to help us to love you more and to live for you more and to know you better. And so, Spirit, come and do that in our hearts. Encourage and build your church through your word. Correct your church. Redirect your church. Fix our gaze where it needs to be fixed through your word this morning, I pray. So help us. We need you, Spirit, lest we become spiritually lethargic. So come, Holy Spirit, and make, make what is alive in your word reign in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 6, verses 9 through seven twenty-four. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, <clears throat> for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. 
make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of, the, of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah Two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. 
and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Renee. I want to just share with you guys this morning what you also would see if you spent as much time reading this as I did this week. I believe there are three things God clearly wants us to see, and he does it through repetition. And you may have caught it as the story was read. There's a lot of repetition, but I think God here is working very hard through the literary use of repetition. (laughs) And so here we go. The first thing God, I believe, wants to make sure that we all see is that the floodwaters completely, totally, and absolutely covered the entire earth. Completely covered the entire earth. Eight times in this passage, God says something. God says something to ensure that we know the earth was completely covered. Look at verse 4. In verse 4 it says, It is going to rain nonstop for 40 days and for 40 nights. Then you get to verse 17, and it says that it happened. It did rain 40 days and 40 nights. Look at verse 11. It says, the fountains came from below, and the windows of heaven opened up from above. So water is gushing up, and water is falling down. Verse 17, the waters increased. Verse 18, waters prevailed and increased greatly. Verse 19, the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole earth were covered. Verse 20, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. That means the highest mountain, which today is Mount Everest, which is 29,029 feet high, was covered by 23 feet of water. So the water stood on the earth 29,052 feet. Verse 24 tells us, and the waters prevailed that way on the earth for 150 days. Listen, God wants us to know that from the lowest valley to the highest mountaintop that he covered and submerged everything with water, there was not one dry inch, and nothing escaped the flood. Nothing. And the reason he wants us to know that every inch was covered is because of the second thing that God wants to make sure that we don't miss, and that is this. Everything, everything, outside the ark was, these are God's words, destroyed, blotted out, and died. Everything. And so he has these words of destruction. In 6.13, he says, I will destroy. Verse 4, I will blot out. Verse 21, and all flesh died. Verse 23, he blotted out. And then again in verse 23, they were blotted out. Destruction. And God wants us to know that everything was destroyed and that nothing escaped being destroyed. So in 6.13 it says, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. In 6.17 he says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. In verse 4 of chapter 7, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out. Then you get to verse 21, chapter 7. 
Look there. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts. I, I don't know about you, I circle these words in my Bible. Verse 21, it all, all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts. All swimming creatures that swarm on the earth. All mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. I mean, God is making it super clear here. He has a reason he wants us to know. Everything was completely destroyed on the earth from the flood. Everything, nothing at all escaped his destroying hand. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this before. I really didn't think about it clearly till this week. That means everything drowned. Everyone drowned underwater. A few weeks ago, Abigail, Elspeth, and I were walking on the beach in Ocean City. It was after dinner, so it meant no lifeguards on duty. And as we were walking, we came upon a family, and the dad and mom were... 10 feet ahead of us, just started screaming to their kid out in the water. Just screaming, come back, you're out too far, you got to come back in. And so it drew our attention, so we looked, and sure enough, this little boy, 10, I don't know how old he was, 8, 10, is out way too far, way too far. And he ain't coming back in. And so it took us a minute, but we realized he's in a riptide, and he can't get back. So simultaneously, Dad and I begin to go out, he, he, he's running for his son. I lose my keys and my phone and my glasses. I'm like, let's go. Let's get this kid. Well, I didn't get very many steps into the water until I realized these waves are big. And the riptide was very strong. Well, the dad kept going, and I stopped, you know, deep, trying to keep myself afloat, watching to see what he would do. And then everything got really quiet, eerie. You ever been in a situation where things like just get, even though the waves were crashing, it was just quiet and still. And I realized that dad is not a good swimmer. And so dad is now holding his son up, trying to keep him out of the waves. He sees me, probably as, I don't know, as close as me to Wayne. And every time a wave came over him, he would hold his kid up and say, I can't do this. I'm drowning. I can't do this. I'm drowning. And he and his son just kept going up and down under the waves. It seemed like hours. It was four or five minutes of the whole event but it was the first time I ever thought about the fact that in Noah's story, everyone drowned. Dads are holding up their kids and they're drowning. Grandparents are drowning. Animals are drowning. Everything on the earth drowned underwater. Devastating. Could there be anything worse? See, this judgment sounds horrid, and it is. But it makes no sense unless we see how infinitely pure and happy and good and radiant and holy and righteous and beautiful God is. And that God created man in his image to reflect that goodness and that majesty by becoming pure and happy and holy and radiant like he is. But because we sin, we reject wanting to be like God so we can be like ourselves. <laughs> Be the best version of me, thank you very much. 
So sin really is determining what is right and wrong. Sin is saying, I want to do what is right in my own eyes. And so until we hold these two things, the glory and the majesty and the righteousness and the goodness of God on one side and man's complete rebellion against God, there's no one righteous, no not one, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone's intentions of their hearts is only evil all the time. Until we hold both of those true, we can't make sense of the flood and the fact that everyone drown in the flood. Everyone, everything is dead. It is blotted out. God's punishment for sin was executed. Now, the reality that everything was blotted out seems to be building up to make this point in verse 23. I think this is maybe the capstone of the passage. Verse 23, only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Only those that were with him in the ark. I think this is the third thing God wants to make very clear. Only what went into and entered the ark escaped. I mean, good grief. Over and over again. Everything's blotted out. Everything's annihilated. Everything will die. And then there's this phrase over and over again. They entered the ark 11 times. 11 times it says they went into the ark, they entered the ark, they came into the ark. I mean, that's just... Redundant repetition. So 618, you shall come into the ark. 619, bring two of every sort into the ark. 71, go into the ark. 77, went into the ark. 79, went into the ark. 713, entered the ark. 714, entered the ark. 715, went into the ark. 716, entered and went into the ark. 723, only Noah was left, and those were with him in the ark. What's God's point? Why is it so important to God that we know that Noah went into the ark? (laughs) That he would say it over and over 11 times. Well, here's why. God wants us to see, look at verse 7, look there with me, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape. To escape, to escape death. God wants us to know the only way to escape judgment is to be inside the ark. Only what went into the ark escaped death. Only what went into the ark escaped destruction. Outside the ark, destroyed. Everything inside the ark escaped. Everything outside the ark died. Everything inside the ark lived. Everything outside of the ark was blotted out. Everything inside the ark floated above the judgment. God wants the reader to know. He wants you to know that you have to be inside the ark to escape. you got to be in the ark. It is the only way to escape certain death. Now Moses knew this. And I didn't, and I meant to say Moses. (laughs) Moses knew this. Because do you know when the next time is Moses is penning this, so Moses is writing this, do you know when the next time is we see the word ark in the Bible? It's not the ark of the covenant. The next time we see the word ark in the Bible is when in Exodus, where Moses' mother puts Moses into a little ark covered in pitch. We call it a basket boat. The Bible calls it an ark. 
All the other Hebrew baby boys die, but Moses escapes on top of the water of the Nile in a miniature ark. So Moses, as he's reading this, he knows firsthand what it means to be rescued in an ark. When he's writing the story, he realizes if you're not in the ark, you die. You've got to be in the ark. God works so hard to make sure we get this point. And I, here, here's the reason why. why. Why is God beating this point home for us that you've got to be in the ark to be saved? And here's the reason why. I think he wants the reader to ask the question, how do I get in the ark? That's the question. If you read this and you go, everything's destroyed, everyone's destroyed, everything dies, everything's blotted out, everyone drowns, except who's in the ark, then I want to know, how did Noah get in the ark? And how do I get in the ark? That's the story. And that's, that's what the reader is being led to ask. And so let's answer it according to the text. The first way that Noah gets into the ark is by grace. Go back to chapter 6, verse 8. One little sentence. It's right there. 6, 8. But Noah found favor. That word favor is the word grace. I wish it said grace in our Bible. Not sure why it doesn't. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God extended grace to Noah. Before there was anything in, in Noah, God extended grace to Noah. Grace came to Noah when God told Noah he was going to destroy the earth. Didn't have to tell him that. Grace came when God told Noah to build an ark. Grace came to Noah when God told Noah how to build the ark. Grace came to Noah as God waited a hundred and some years for Noah to build the ark. And grace came when God told Noah to go into the ark. You see, grace found Noah. And the other thing we have to know that makes sense of why everyone else drowned and God is still just and righteous and we don't look at God in a way that we shouldn't is that God offered everyone this grace. I mean, he sent the preacher Noah to tell them the flood is coming, you want to get in the ark. He sent the preacher Enoch to the people and said, you want to escape judgment, you got to get into the ark. So God gave everyone an option. Everyone had the opportunity to get into the ark. But we know that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And so man didn't listen to Noah. Man did not listen to Enoch. And they didn't get into the ark. So grace is offered. But what did Noah do that no one else did? We know what he did, right? He believed God. He had faith. Noah, Noah believed God, and he did everything God commanded him to do. We saw we said that four times, right, in the passage. And Noah did everything that God commanded him to do. That's Noah's faith, alive and active. God told him what's going to happen. God tells him to build an ark. Noah says, okay, I believe you, God, and so I'm going to do this. And according to the book of Hebrews, that's why Noah is righteous. His righteousness comes because of his obedience to God, his responding to God's word. God speaks to him. Noah responds. He believes. And listen, Noah's faith, I'm going to use this word, ridiculous. His faith was ridiculous, and I mean that in the best sense of the word. His faith was ridiculous because what God asked Noah to do was ridiculous. I mean, why else include the dimensions of the ark? Is it so that we can go build one? I doubt it. 
I think they're included there so that we see how ridiculous this request was of God's. So we'd see how ridiculous Moses's, Noah's faith was in doing what God told him to do. The ark was a football field and a half long. I don't know when the last time you were at a football game. A football field and a half. It was taller than twice this room. The thing was absolutely crazy enormous. The biggest thing their culture would have ever have seen. 120, I think one average, 100, 110 years. 110 years of ark building. That is ridiculous obedience. I mean, how does God ask us to do something for five minutes and we give up? I mean, this is ridiculous faith that he would take a hundred and some years to build something that was just completely mind-blowing. Yet Noah responded to God's amazing grace with ridiculous faith. He did. It's almost as if this story is teaching us that it was by grace through faith that Noah escaped the ark. It's almost as if it was by grace through faith that Noah entered the ark and escaped judgment. Almost as if. Or exactly that. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is our faith, Christians. It is by grace, extended. Do you want to escape the flood? Here you go. And what do we do? In faith, we respond. We say, yes, I believe. I believe. There's one more thing I want to draw your attention to here. And it's in verse 16 that I think helps us. Lest we be tempted to give Noah too much credit or responsibility for what happens in this story. It's that little phrase that maybe caught your eye as Renee read it in verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. I mean, I read that and okay, why does God have to shut him in? Why can't Noah shut it himself? I'm sure they could have figured out a way. I don't know. And then even if God did do it, why tell us? I mean, that's just a little tidbit of information that must be significant. Or why would it be there? So here's what I think. It seems that this is included so that we will know that God is the one who sealed Noah's salvation. God is the one who sealed Noah in the ark. And God is the one who kept everyone else out of the ark. It's both. God kept Noah in. God put Noah in. And God kept everyone else. This story is all God's hand. It was all God's doing from start to finish. From everything outside of the ark being blotted out to everything inside of the ark escaping was all God's doing. All God's doing. All God's hand. So I think that's why that's there. So those are the three things I think are most important in this passage. So what do we do with this? How do we conclude? Right? You're you're a Christian here this morning. You read the story of Noah and the ark. What do we conclude? Well, I think there's three things we draw from this. The first is this. When God decides it's time to destroy man for his corrupt, evil heart, God does it thoroughly, completely, and pervasively, and there are no second chances once he starts. Once the door is shut, it's too late. There's a cutoff. There's a cutoff. There's a time where there's no option, no hiding, no escaping, you'll be dead and judged. That's the first thing. The second thing seems to be clear is this. You have to get into the ark by grace and through faith to escape the judgment. So yes, I'm going to spiritualize this. Who's our ark? Jesus is our ark. 
to escape the punishment of God. We know, we've studied Colossians recently, you have to be found in Christ. <laughs> that was the whole point of Colossians. Everything's in Christ. You've got to be in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you face judgment. But in Christ, you escape judgment. So just one verse, Romans 8, you guys know this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've got to be in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you will die. If you are not in Christ, you'll be destroyed. If you're not in Christ, you'll be blotted out. If you're not in Christ, you will face judgment on your own for eternity. But in Christ, there's no condemnation. In Christ, you float above the water over judgment to salvation forever. And then the third little thing I draw from this is that although we are saved by faith alone, saving faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by ridiculous faith (laughs) and ridiculous obedience. The desire that the Spirit of God, and if you are born again here, you know what I'm talking about, when the Spirit of God grabs a hold of your heart, you want to do everything God commands you to do, don't you? We don't. Oh, but we want to. We see his ridiculous grace and we say, I want to be ridiculously obedient. Because the Spirit of God puts that in our hearts. We want to be like Noah. Give us a task. We're on it. I want to do it. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm human. But I want to. I want to do everything God commands us to do. I want to have ridiculous faith. So I urge you, disciples of Jesus, have ridiculous faith that leads you to do everything that you know God commands you to do. And then for others here, it's good to ask the question, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ this morning? I'm joining the preacher Noah. I'm joining the preacher Enoch. And I'm saying that if you're not in Christ, you'll die. If you're not in Christ, you'll be blotted out for an eternity in hell. There's no way to escape the judgment unless you are in Christ. You must be in Christ. You have to be in Christ in order to be saved. So I think that's the reason this Noah story is here for us, for those reasons. So we will see what faith looks like, what grace looks like, and what it looks like for us to respond in ridiculous obedience. But if you kept up with our reading plan this week, you know that Jesus has something to say about this chapter in Genesis. We're not going to look at what Jesus says in Luke, however. We're going to look at what Jesus says in Matthew. So for us to really be Christian, since Jesus talks about this story, we better see what Jesus says about the story. So go in your Bible to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. We're going to jump in to verse 36. So Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus has just been talking about how he's going to come back. He's going to return to the earth after he leaves. And in chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus begins to tell us what it looks like as we wait for his return. So let's read together. I'll I'll read to you. I'm going to do this slow. Let's walk through this passage Here's what it says, chapter 24, Matthew, verse 36. But concerning that day, he's talking about the day when he returns, that day and hour, 
No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. All right, so I don't know if you're, I hear some clicking pens, that's good. I'm going to tell you some stuff that I underlined in my Bible. You can or cannot do that, but I want to draw your attention to them at least as we go through it. First is this. Look at the phrase, no one knows. That's going to be repeated, so I want, to, I want you to catch it before we move on. So, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, that's why we're here, right? He's talking about the days of Noah. So as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. All right, so Jesus is going to make a connection between our Noah story for this morning and him returning. He's going to connect a dot. He's going to tell us a similarity. Let's see what that is. Verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Do you see why I made that such a big deal? When we were, That's why, because Jesus said it. So I thought I'd make a big deal, but Jesus makes a big deal about it. Seems to be a safe way to preach. If Jesus highlights it, I should highlight it. When Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. Circle it. They were unaware. When the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what does Jesus see as similar between the days of Noah and his return? Here's what he sees as similar. People are going to be living ordinary lives like they were in Noah's day, eating and drinking and getting married and having babies and going on vacation and going to work. And then out of nowhere, unaware, no one's going to know when it's happening. When you least expect it, just like the flood came, Jesus is going to show up. It's going to appear. That's the connection Jesus makes. Now Jesus gives us three little stories. Three one-sentence stories. Each story is one sentence long to help us understand what he's talking about. So let's look at it. Verse 40. First story. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one will be left. So two men, father, son, maybe two brothers. They're out in the field. They're working together. One's taken, one's left. Next story. Two women will be grinding at the mill. Maybe a mother and daughter or Two sisters working at the mill, chatting, having fun. One will be taken, one will be left. Now the text does not tell us, Jesus doesn't tell us why the one is taken. We don't know why the one is left, and we don't know where the one who is taken goes. We, We could conclude that in Noah's day, was it better to be taken or left? I don't want to be taken. I want to be left. I'm going to be left in the boat. Not taken in the flood. But the text doesn't tell us because that's not the point of the story. It's not why Jesus is telling us. Jesus is going to tell us next what the point of the story is. Therefore, you guys see the word therefore, okay. He's going to tell us now what's the point. The point is this. Stay awake. Stay awake. Don't go to sleep. Be watchful. Be, Be vigilant. Be attentive. Why? For you do not know, circle it again, you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So stay awake. You read the story of Noah and your neighbor asks you, what's the story even about? You say, it's about staying awake. And then Jesus tells a third little story. Third little story. But know this, that if the master of the house had known 
circle it, had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Simple story, right? If you knew a guy was coming at midnight to break into your house, we'd all be there (laughs) at the door waiting to welcome him (laughs) and his cohorts. But he didn't know. If he had, he would have stayed awake, but he didn't. Verse 44, therefore, uh uh-oh, another application. Therefore, in light of this story, Jesus is trying to get our attention. In light of this, here comes our application. You also must be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour. Circle it. You do not expect. You do not expect. The point of this one-sentence story is this. If you knew when Jesus was coming, you would stay awake. But you don't know, so be ready for Jesus to return when you don't expect it. (laughs) So interesting. Jesus reaches all the way back to the Noah story as he's getting into the ark and brings us this application. Just like they didn't know when the flood was coming in Noah's day, you don't know and you're unaware of when I am coming. No one knows. And in light of this, Stay awake. Be ready. Stay awake. Be ready. You can hear Jesus' words echoing through the mountainside. Stay awake. Be ready. Because you never know when I'm going to return. I want to pastor you for a moment. Not necessarily directly related to the text, but maybe more to our culture and to what we live through every day. When I hear stay awake, I don't know what you think. Jesus is here this morning looking and saying, hey, I could come back any moment, so stay awake. Where does your mind go? My mind goes to a couple places. One, I can hear Jesus saying, be alive. Tend your soul. Hunger for God. Pursue being spiritually enlivened. Give time and energy doing the things that revive your soul and make you feel close to God and help you draw near to God. Go hard after him. Be filled with the Spirit. Do whatever you have to do so that you stay awake, spiritually speaking. And I think it's good for us to be aware of the fact that this world is trying to put us to sleep. It is. Satan, the world, and your flesh want you to stay awake to all the things that are putting you spiritually to sleep. Stay awake to this stuff so that you die to this stuff. The world wants to lull you to sleep spiritually. Now I'm going to say stuff that I shouldn't say. Because it probably crosses lines of application that I shouldn't be crossing. But I believe wholeheartedly that in 2007, our culture dropped a massive sleeping pill into the Christian church and into the culture. You know what came out in 2007? the iPhone. So I'm just stepping way out of bounds, and I know I am. But there are a million ways here to go to sleep. Just saying. For me, million, every day, endless things to put me to sleep. Endless things to distract me from being awake. You guys know this. You go places, and everyone's consumed with it. 
So just a warning. You may not be there. Maybe it's just me. But I know that if I'm going to stay awake, I've got to give my time to certain things and not to others. And so I encourage you, stay awake. Stay awake. And be aware of the things that put you to sleep. (laughs) What puts you to sleep? Avoid it. The second thing Jesus says is be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Look, there's so many things that we prepare for in life that we're ready for. I want to be ready for retirement, ready for the new school year. I'm waiting eagerly, ready for my promotion, ready for whatever, vacation and the next Avengers movie. Whatever it is, I'm ready. (laughs) Anxiously on the edge of my seat for. And Jesus says, are you that ready for my return? Are you ready? Are you anticipating my return? There's so many things that we can feel a need to be ready for. Are we ready for his return? Parents, may I just say a word to you this morning. Of all the things you're preparing your kids for, are you making them ready for his return? Are you preparing them for his return? Uh, We prepare our kids for everything. We get them ready for school. We get them ready for sports. We get them ready for college and financial security and jobs and their retirement along with ours. Are we getting them ready for the return of Christ? Are your kids aware that Christ will return? He's coming. I love it that Tyler preached just a few weeks ago from Genesis 5 where it said, and he died, 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 and he died. Listen, you will see Jesus either when you die, 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 or when he comes. But you're going to meet him. He's coming. And so be ready. Parents, help your kids get ready. Husbands, help your wives. Wives, help your husbands. We've got to wake up if we've fallen asleep to the reality that he will return. He will return. Is his return in view for you? Does it cross your mind? Do you think he could return today? Does that inform any decisions you make in your day? He could come back today. He could. Does that change anything about how you spend your time or what you pursue? Because he could return. I want to make one other point here that I hope is helpful. I'm going to make this point for two reasons. One is because if I don't tell you how the story ended on the beach, you'll all ask me afterwards. <laughs> but the second reason is, for me, it was a visual illustration that helped me. So dad and son are in the water. I'm scared, treading water. The thought enters my mind. Is this going to be it? You hear the stories, right? Two are drowning, one goes to save, all three drown. Now, it wasn't like life flashed before my eyes, I don't want to be melodramatic, but there was a second where I thought, I could die. Or they're going to die, because they're going down. So I did what any of you would have done. I went out, was able to get the son from the dad, get back to the shore. The dad, without the son, was able to swim back to the shore. Dad and I collapse on the beach. I think it's much from emotional exhaustion, honestly, as physical exhaustion. Little kid skips off as if nothing happened. (laughs) Did he not? I'm like, dude, (laughs) not my business. (laughs) But I've thought about that, and I thought, if I'm willing to take that much risk to save somebody physically, why am I willing to take that much risk to save someone spiritually? 
if I'm willing to wonder, I may not, I might not be able to do this either. I'm, I'm going to make go down, but I'm not going to let him drown, so I'm, I'm going for it. You realize that all of our friends who don't know Christ, they're drowning? They don't know they're drowning, but they're drowning. They're drowning spiritually. They're drowning in their sin, and they will be drowning in the wrath of God. Are we willing to risk whatever it takes, ridiculous faith, to go share with them that Christ is coming? He's coming. He's coming. And once he does, the door shuts, and it's too late. That's the point of the story. There is a day where the door will be shut, and only those who are in Christ will escape. Now, I need to tell you this as wrapping up. The rest of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25 answer the question, what does it mean to be awake and ready? Jesus keeps talking about it. So either I preach another hour or I leave you with this assignment. This week, we need to figure out how Jesus describes staying awake and being ready. How does Jesus talk about staying awake and being ready? And so he begins in verse 45, and he goes all the way through the end of chapter 25 to tell us what it means to stay awake and to be ready. I don't know if there's anything more important in my life this week than wanting to have some handles on what it means to stay awake and be ready because Jesus could come back tomorrow. I mean, i got some important things to do this week, but none of them are that important. So I encourage you, spend time this week in, that, in this passage considering these things. To read them and ask yourself, how ready am I? And am I awake? Or has the world lulled me to sleep? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are not in ignorance walking around this earth with no idea what's going to happen at the end of the day. We know exactly what's going to happen. You, you told us exactly what's going to happen. And so we're grateful for that. Thank you that we shouldn't be surprised because you're going to come. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that everyone within my voice would be ready and would stay awake until you come. Lord, I pray that we would all find ourselves in Christ, just like Noah found himself in the boat, so that we can experience eternal life rescued from wrath and judgment. And so, Spirit, help us. Help us to do business with you and to ask ourselves if we're awake or if we're asleep, if we're spiritually alive or spiritually dead, if we're spiritually taking a nap. Help us to evaluate how ready we are. Am I ready? God, I pray that you would work your spirit into our hearts and show us what you want to show us. In Jesus' name, amen.